Our Old Testament text come today comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now the Lord was going to take Elijah up to the heaven in a windstorm. And Elijah and Elisha were leaving Giggle. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came out to Elisha. These prophets said to Elisha, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Elisha said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah and Elisha Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, because the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So they went to Jericho. The group of prophets from Jericho approached Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? He said, Yes, I know. Don't talk about it. Elijah and Elijah Stay, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here because the Lord has sent me to Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I won't leave you. So both of them went to, on together. Fifty members of the group of prophets also went along, but they stood at the distance. Both Elijah and Elisha stood beside the Jordan River. Elijah then took his coat, rolled it up, and hit the water. Then the water was divided in two. Both of them crossed over the dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, What do you want me to do before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Let me have twice your spirit. Elijah said, You've made a difficult request. If you can see me when I am taken away from you, then it will be yours. If you don't see me, it won't happen. They were walking along, talking, when suddenly a fiery chariot and fiery horses appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went to heaven in a windstorm. Elisha was watching, and he cried out, Oh my father, my father, Israel's chariots and its riders. When he could no longer see him, Elisha took hold of his clothes and ripped them in two. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Zimri, for that text. We'll get to it in a few moments. Thanks also to Ryan and Morgan for spirit-filled worship through song this morning. Well, those of you who are in the sanctuary, congratulations on your scooting, skedaddling, and sliding your way here to the sanctuary today. Uh, as Ralph Neal told me, who grew up in Minnesota, this is not inclement weather. This is just called winter. Get over it. So uh, for those of you who are here, I get it. I have Minnesota roots. So, but for those of you who are at home, uh, near and abroad, uh, welcome to the Lord's Day today. As we've been talking about, Epiphany is a season of light, and today is the last Sunday of Epiphany called Transfiguration Sunday. It is, to be honest, a weird and hard text. But as we lean into our, all of our texts today, they're going to center around some themes of light and fire and glory. It's illuminating. It's beautiful. But it can be painful and terrifying, a mystery of power and strength beyond what we can control. I know this because I've seen Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know how this works. It's like really cool and then really freaky out, right? Indeed, today the light of God invites us as we begin the Lenten journey to pick up our cross and follow Christ into the shadow of the cross. 
in this invitation, we are invited to let God's light so be magnified in us that God's glory can flood us and God's love will be shed abroad in our hearts and lives. But as we see the light of Christ today, we are invited to listen to Christ's teaching, to follow and to obey. As Pastor Scott mentioned, Lent begins this week, and as he said so well, Lent reminds us of our sinfulness, that we're going to die, and our desperate need for God, and we're invited to follow Jesus. That felt like all of 2020. As Pastor Scott said, Lent was the gift that kept on giving and still gives, and yet here we are again in Lent 2021. We are headed to our transfiguration text today in Mark chapter 9. But for those of you who are old, we're going to do a little Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. How did we get here? There'll be themes of lights and power and mountains and mysterious God who invites indeed to transform. I have to confess that I'm breaking some rules today that George Lyons set for me. I'm using too many texts, so George, I apologize um, but you're not here, so too bad for you. I also, one of the rules, you might not know this, uh, Pastor Scott has made a sign of confession that every time we preach, we must bring up the book of Exodus. Uh, otherwise, we are tohu and bohu'd into the abyss of confusion. So I'll start in Moses and Exodus. I invite you to turn to Exodus 13. Moses, his long story, has just seen the the ten plagues, which in some ways was a battle of who is the real God, the gods of Egypt or the gods of Yahweh. Well, as they are making their way out of the tenth plague, they're on their way, and hear these words from Exodus 13, 21, and again, pay attention today to our themes of light and power and fire. Again, Exodus 13, 21, I'm reading from the CEB, the Lord went in front of them during the day in a column of cloud to guide them, and at night in a column of lightning to give them light. This way they travel day and night. This is a light that guides, often the text called God's messenger. There's nothing more comforting than being led by lightning at night. Now, I grew up in Arizona, as Pastor Scott did. We had heat lightning, so that might have been it. Heat lightning is a little less intimidating, but still, being guided by lightning on your journey isn't all very exciting. Well, as they're traveling, all of a sudden, Pharaoh decided this is not a good idea. And so he goes after them with the armies and the chariots, and the Israelites find themselves trapped. The army coming down the sea before them, and they are afraid. And now we turn to Exodus 14, 13. And I would suggest to you, uh, if you have a digital or printed Bible, this is great verses to underline, to highlight. These are probably one of the top ten big ideas of the entire canon. Again, Exodus 14, 13 and 14. As Pharaoh's army is coming down upon them. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never ever see again. And then verse 14, so important. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Are, are you afraid today? Concerns? Anxieties? 
In many ways, do you sense Pharaoh's army bearing down on you? The invitation is to stand and to be still, to let God fight. This is not apathy or laziness. This is active, disciplined invitation to trust. I'm not sure about all of you, but my temptation, for those of you who know me, I always want to help God out. God's busy. I've got some good ideas. But many times, God says to me, Brent, you just stop. Don't be so loud. I know, even, even God's tired of it too. I'm sorry. Be still and trust me. Can I be, that is hard for me to do. But no matter where you are, temptations, it's important to know that you and we are not alone. Without messenger, that light that was guiding them all of a sudden goes in the backside and blocks for them. Prevents Pharaoh's army from coming. Again, the God's light that was guiding and drawing them forward was now coming behind them to protect them. Then as you know, Moses takes that rod and places it in the water and the sea parts and they walk on dry ground. They cross through the waters and then as they're crossing out, Pharaoh's armies go in the waters and God relents and brings back the waters and Pharaoh's armies are destroyed. Those of you who are Nazarene, you might know the name Susie Schellenberger. She described then the beginning of what we call the world's longest backpacking trip. And indeed, often the Israelites, for those of you who are youth pastors, acted more like hangry teenagers. They are hungry and they're thirsty and they're not quiet about it. So God provides water and manna. Well, let's skip forward to Exodus 19. Three months in to a longest backpacking trip, they make it to Mount Sinai and they're called to prepare to encounter God. One of the things today, one of the tensions we have is how do we approach God? And our two kind of nerdy theology words are God's transcendence, God's otherness, and God's imminence, God's closeness. I do think in many ways in the coming of Christ, God wanted to remind the people that God indeed loved and was close and to be near. But I do think we must be careful not to turn God into our buddy. You see, to prepare to meet the holy God requires some awe on our part, some holiness. Not that God wants us to stay away, but never lose the majesty and power of God. On Exodus 19, God shows up and there's smoke and thunder and lightning and they're given the law. I think some of us today as we look, and there's a lot of backstory to the law and the Pharisees in the New Testament text. Oftentimes we imagine that the, the law is a bad thing. But in reality, the law was a good thing. The law indeed invited them to be God's people. The law invited them to reflect God, God Yahweh's name in the world. The, the law was a way of life for them. Again, as we encounter the light today, here's our theme. We're called to be caught in awe, but then to obey and follow. Not as a heavy yoke, but as a means of life. We'll fast forward a few more verses. More laws are given. More instruction in Exodus 24, verses 16 through 18. There's more mountains and there's more fire and power and thunder. So again... Exodus 24, 16, the Lord's glorious presence settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. 
On the seventh day, the Lord called from most of the cloud to the Israelites. The Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain, and Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Sounds good. But all of a sudden, the backpackers are getting anxious. The leader's not coming back. And they start to fret and to worry. And so they do what I've done too many times. They decide to take matters into their own hands. So they ask Aaron to make them idols of the Egyptians' gods. Maybe those gods in our slavery can help us now. And as Scott has reminded us many times, of course, it wasn't super easy to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was very difficult to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. They're on the mountain. And God says to Moses, your people are messing up. Kind of like when my, my wife reminds me, your daughter over there. Of course, Lexi, it's Sydney, not you. Don't worry, you're fine. And God says, you know what? Let's just start over. And Moses implores God to relent from his anger. But then Moses comes down and gives them a verbal what for. Ask them, what are you doing? Well, though, of course, they sheepishly look at each other and will blame him and his fault. And, you know, as we do when we're in trouble. Then Moses heads back up to the mountain in Exodus 33. And Moses asks to see God's glorious presence. And God says candidly, well, no one can see my face and live. But go into the gap in the rock over here and I'll cover you with my hand and you'll just see my backside. So that occurs and the powerful, awesome power of God shows up. And of course, just seeing a tiny glimpse of the backside covered with the hand, Moses' face comes down and it is glowing. Literally the word glory as God's presence was glowing was being magnified onto the people, they, had to put a, they couldn't handle it. They had to put a bag on his face. Moses indeed symbolized the gift of the law. Well, then Elijah, the prophet of prophets, calling the people back to following the law. That's the role of the prophets, is not to supersede the law, but to call folks back to it, that God's image can be magnified in them. Elijah hits the scene and he goes at it right away and he's often around kings who are not doing well. And of course, you know the battle of Ahab and Jezebel, one of the most powerful images on a mountain, again with Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, 16 through 45. This was a uh, prehistoric world uh, WWE SmackDown fight about the gods the God of Baal and all the prophets, and then this guy Elijah and Yahweh. Here's how it worked out. They each had a bull to sacrifice. So Elijah said, you guys go first. You sacrifice the bull, but this time, if you don't light the fire, ask your God to light the fire and consume the sacrifice. They're like, okay. So they're going at it for a while. And nothing's happening. So Elijah, I mean, sarcastically, you have to know, says, you know what, maybe your God's asleep. Speak a little louder, which, you know, always blesses my heart. And they go at it. I mean, they are at full volume. They're kind of cutting. It's just crazy. They're, show up. Nothing happens. They're like, you know, I think eventually Elijah, like, probably feels bad for him. I don't know. Just time out. Okay, you're, you're done. So he has his bull sacrificed. And then 
He builds trenches. And then, I'm not sure this is quite a baptismal imagery, but maybe three times he douses it with water. There's water everywhere. Then he prays Yahweh, may your name be praised. And Yahweh's fire, whoa, comes down, consumes the sacrifice, and licks up, it says, all the water till it is bone dry. And then we would know that Yahweh was the true God. Now, I will say, with both Elijah and Moses, we celebrated some of their great moments, but they had moments of failure. It's important lessons, we read all the texts, that our mistakes and our failures do not validate God's desire to use us. Important idea. Well, now we'll get to our text today that Zimri read so well for us. You'll recall that Moses' time was coming to an end. He was not allowed to go to the promised land. So he, he had, Moses, of course, had brought them through the Red Sea, but it was time to go, and, and Joshua would be the one to take the mantle. Well, now Elijah's time was done, and the transition was happening, and there was great uncertainty. What would happen next? If Elijah were to go, would God's spirit go with Elijah? And there was fear and uncertainty. How well do you like change? How well do you like uncertainty? That's the gift of 2020 and many more, wasn't it? The unknown can be exhausting. To get into our text, we're kind of told what's going to happen in the first verse. It's similar to how we know Star Wars 1 through 3 has to tell us. We know how Anakin becomes Darth Vader. We know what's going to happen, and the whole text is kind of foreshadowing in a future that we're trying to push away and resist. And Zimri read it well. Um, they know what's happening. And Elisha's like, I don't want to hear it. Three times, Elijah says, stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm going. And the people come alongside and said, you know what's coming. And he said, I know, be quiet. It's kind of like me as a Mariners fan being told, there'll be no World Series this year. I'm like, yes, I know. I don't want to hear it. You know when you know something's coming and you don't want it, there's not much worse to be feeling. And the, 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 ha the sense we have today is for all the people, and especially Elisha, there was great nervousness about the future. Well, Elisha takes, I'm sorry, Elijah takes, and the, the Hebrew is weird. It is his cloak or his mantle. It's kind of a goatskin weird thing. It's a weird, very rarely used in the Old Testament text. He takes it and he strikes the water. And dry ground appears. Again, that is not an exodus. That's not an accident to connect to the exodus. But remember, Moses brought the people through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And then it was Joshua who brought them to the Jordan River into the promised land. Elijah and Elisha were in the promised land, hit the water to go back into the wilderness. It's just very interesting as they enter back into the wilderness, it notes this is the place that Moses died. Well, this is going on. Elijah, I'm sure, loves Elisha and can sense this is not fun. So he asks him, what can I do for you? One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Mark 10. It's actually the chapter right after our chapter we'll get to eventually today, Lord willing. Where Jesus is essentially asking folks, what do you want me to do for you? If 
Christ asked you that question, what would your answer be? Yeah, I want some wisdom. Sounds good. Resources to do good things. Maybe health. Maybe just like some calm, peaceful circumstances. None of those things are bad. But in Mark 10, um, we have an answer to that question. James and John come to Jesus. Of course, in the other Gospels, mom had to do it. How embarrassing. But they asked for seats of honor at Jesus' right and left. You see, James and John were wanting the glory of empire and the glory of Caesar's. They were not yet understanding the glory of God. Jesus asked James and John, well, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized the baptized I'm going to be baptized with? They said, sure, no problem. Imagine Jesus thought, I think it's in the Bible, he looked at them and just said, this is my paraphrase, you have no clue. Of course, in many ways, they did live into that baptism and that drinking, only they had no clue what it meant probably at that time. Jesus said to them, well, those seats of honor are not for me to grant. Let's go back to our text in 2 Kings. What did Elisha ask for? Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. God's ruach, God's spirit, had come upon Elijah throughout his ministry. But that spirit was dangerous. It was undomesticated, had power and authority that could not be contained. Indeed, God did mighty things through Elijah. But Elisha wasn't wanting this as a personal possession for him to control. But he wants to be used by God. What did Elijah do? He challenged unfaithful kings. He destabilized corrupt power and challenged rival gods. And Elisha so wants God to be magnified in his life so he can continue this unpopular, odd, hard, challenging life, always at odds with the powers and principalities of the world. But he knows he cannot do this on his own power. He desires to let God's light be magnified. It's a good request, by the way. Way better than James and John. Well, interestingly, like Jesus, Elijah said, well, what you're asking is not for me to give, and it is very hard for humans to, to offer. But Elijah said, if you see my departure, then God will grant your request. Well, then we have this cool and crazy and awesome and terrifying chariots of fire and horses coming in and swooping up and taking Elijah. And Elisha is brought to tears. Certainly first there is mourning and weeping for the one whom he loved deeply. The one who was the voice of God was now gone. But we also think there was a cry of thanksgiving. Celebration for all that Elijah had meant to him. As we recall, Theron Daniels had the anniversary of his death recently. And for me, there are still both those emotions. I continue to grieve his loss. But I am so thankful how he invested in me over many, many, many years. See, the mantles sometimes we were asked to carry by those who've come before us. I've noticed how often we speak of those who've come before us with great reverence and awe. Rightly, we should. 
Many times we'll think, well, I can't do what they did. Of course, that's true. Because you're not them. They had no problem, I'm sure, telling you of their inadequacies and failures. Some of us, it feels like too much to walk on the shoulders of those who've come before, and we, we get that. Some of the times our anxiety is we have no clue what's going to happen next. I do think for many of us that is part of what still unsettles us is this vaccine appears to be like doing some good things. We're hopeful that eventually masks can like be safe for like when I go skiing. But there's uncertainty. What will Christianity in the church be like? Whenever, whatever post-COVID means. Anxiety happens all the time, and often we're prone to just simply sit there and say, boy, I wish we had the good old days. Now, friends, the good old days were good. But sometimes we forget that God who was in the past is here today. One of my favorite texts from Isaiah as this people Messages given to those in exile, Isaiah 43, 19. Coming out of exile, they were prone to think favorably about some key events, and often the Passover was one of them. But the danger for them in exile was they had made that good memory of God's activity a kind of idol. And they were remembering the good old days, but forgetting the God who acted then wanted to do something now. That's good preaching. God says, forget these former things. They are idols to you. God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Friends, the God who called Abraham, a nobody and nothing with Sarai, barren, Moses, convicted killer, fugitive, Hebrew among oppressed people, Elijah and Elisha, that God who called them is the God who wants to do exceedingly more than all we can ask or imagine. Amen? God is still on the loose. God's light is still shining. Many of us, friends, I'm afraid we need to forget the former things that have become idols to us. Idols of past wishing for comfort and safety. But God is doing that new thing. Shall we perceive it? Will we follow Christ in Christ's light that goes before us? Not because we always see what is coming, but because God indeed will guide us. Well, lastly on Elijah, we remember that in many ways the New Testament sees Elijah as embodying the prophet John the Baptist. Out, undomesticated in the wilderness, weird diet, calling for the people to repent and follow the law again. So finally... Our gospel text. I'd hope we get here, and we did. I invite you as you're able to stand as we read Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9 on a very odd and weird text, but our key text for today. And so now we have the rest of the story. Let's hear this story. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain, ding, 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 where they were alone. He was transformed in front of them and his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared, were talking with Jesus. God bless Peter, reacted to all this by saying, Jesus, 
Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know how to respond. When in doubt, talk. All right, sorry, that was for me. But the three of them were terrified. And the cloud overshadowed them. Think of Mount Sinai. And a voice spoke from the cloud. Cloud, this is my son whom I dearly love. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen and until the human one had risen from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we have in the Gospels a challenge. And by the way, uh, you and I would not have been any better than disciples, so let's just be clear about that, right? The disciples are about two stages above the three stooges, where we would have been. The disciples, and often in Mark, you have what's called the messianic secret. And I think largely because when the disciples and everyone else had a view of Messiah, you know what they were looking for? David 2.0. They thought the problem was the Romans. Little did they know the problem was sin and death. So this transfiguration text, in some ways, is going to be a help because it's going to invite them that the one who they thought was is the case. This transfiguration text follows them right in the middle. They're moving from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now, in some regard, Peter, and God bless Peter, this is what he was waiting for. It was this kind of action. This is what it meant to be Messiah. We got Moses and Elijah, in some ways, summing up the law and the prophets here to say, Christ is the fulfillment. Yes and amen. So Peter thought, I like this. Let's hang out for a while. But it was curious that Peter was happy to share in this glory, but not so happy to consider the Messiah who would suffer and die. In some regard, as Christ is transfigured, again, on this mountain... With Moses and Elijah, all those stories kind of are to be brought together. That this is the Messiah, but friends, what was coming was going to be hard. Without this transfiguration text, it would be very easy to imagine that Christ, like, might not have been it. I know for us, as we lean into Epiphany, I'm sorry, as we come into Lent, which is coming, we kind of, well, sure, Christ suffered and died. One of the gifts of Lent I want us to remember is for those disciples in the church, how horrific that idea was. Christ said it, sure, but he was just thinking metaphorically. As we go into Lent, we are to be caught up into the deep invitation to go where we didn't think Christ was supposed to go. The danger for us, we always we keep reinventing God into our image but we want God to be. Well, you'll notice as they're going through all these movements here, a voice calls out. You recall way back, like three months ago in the beginning of January, Epiphany starts. Start with baptism. In the baptismal text, we hear these words from the heavens. You are my son, the beloved with you I am pleased. 
Now, we're not positive, but we're not sure any of these disciples, Peter, James, or John, would have been there at that time, probably may have heard about it. But notice how the voice is both similar and different here from the heavens. Again, in our text today, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. In many ways, the disciples were seeing but not seeing. They were not listening or understanding. In some regard, their listening would be their first way to seeing. See, the events that would unfold, and in Mark, Mark's of the gospel is trying to get us to Jerusalem. And Lent, friends, um, it is a challenge. It's a journey that will be hard and difficult. Being caught up in the glory of God does not mean that we're free from trial. It's an invitation. We would give our lives to following Christ, come what may. But Epiphany ends on Transfiguration Sunday. So as we are heading into Lent, we are to have no doubt that indeed this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But the world indeed will try to extinguish that light and that hope within us. As we journey into Lent, it will appear and feel like the sword, military might, empire, and sin and death might win. But as Scott reminds us often, those will not have the final word. Indeed, the journey is challenging and it's hard, but the light of Christ within is to glow steady through our journey of Lent. Part of Psalm 50 we didn't get to today reminds us even though we face challenges, hear these words from Psalm 50, the voice of Yahweh is over the waters. The voice of Yahweh breaks the mighty cedars. The voice of Yahweh flashes forth flames of fire. As we go into Lent in that journey, to follow Christ, picking up our cross, as God's light is magnified in us, may that hope guide us even when the days appear to grow dark. May the light within glow strong. Well, some ideas that I've been wrestling with that I want you to be bothered by and encouraged by. Those of you who feel like Pharaoh's army is pressing down upon you, stop. Be still. Let God fight for you. You're not alone. Second, be very careful as we're longing for whatever the post is or wishing it was like yesterday, a lot of yesterdays. Let's not turn God's faithfulness and comfort of the past into an idol that causes us to miss the new thing God is doing today. God is going to do a new thing, can we perceive it? Finally, the blazing light of Christ says, will you follow me as we head to Jerusalem in the shadow of the cross? Will you allow the light of God to so be magnified in you that God's love will be your strength during the days to get long and hard? Let Christ be magnified in us. As you know, today is Valentine's Day, and church history is a bit wonky over who St. Valentine was. There are three or four figures they point to. One of them was a priest and physician who is known for his generous 
and careful ministry of love and compassion to those in his community and those in the jails. All three persons called Valentine were killed for their faith. One of the things we're invited to is never that when we seek death, but ultimately God invites us to be faithful, come what may. That's the invitation of Lent. So what does it mean for you in February 2021 to let Christ's light be magnified in you? It's not because you and I always get it right. It's not because our circumstances are peaceful and easy. But it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Elijah, and Elisha is here today to invite us into the new path where God's kingdom will keep coming and can handle COVID. What new thing does God want to do in among us? I invite the team to come on up. We're going to sing a song about magnifying God today and hear one of the refrains that we'll sing in a few moments. Hear the lyrics say this, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory and with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My song will be the same. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are thankful today that we have a chance to be caught up in the light of your son. Lord, to be honest, it's both comforting and terrifying. We can't control it. We can't comprehend it. And I think you put it that way on purpose. But Lord, this day I pray for those for whom Pharaoh's armies are crashing in. They're afraid. They can't see ahead. They've exhausted their resources. And Lord, for some today, I pray they would hear your word, that they could stand and be still and let you fight for them. Others of us, Lord, today, to be honest, we're tired of the uncertainty. We wish things were like how they used to be. And God, clearly, you have been faithful in the past. But Lord, too often in my life, I have forgot and have focused on those past events of faithfulness and have forgot you're here and you're still moving and you're still acting. And God, we know and believe you're going to do a new thing and we invite your spirit to help us to perceive it with courage. We often think we're not as good as those folks who've come before. And you just invite us to say, will you come? You. And follow. Participate in this kingdom coming. Finally, Lord, whatever it means for us today, we pray the light of your son, Jesus Christ, will be magnified in us. Not that we box your light in, but we're caught up in your glory. Literally like Moses, as we encounter that glory, we are transformed by your love to care for our world. So, Lord, indeed we pray. May your son, Jesus Christ, may he be glorified in us today.